Hello, and welcome to Philosophy Talk, the program that questions everything. Except your intelligence. I'm John Perry. And I'm Ken Taylor. We're coming to you from the studios of KALW Information Radio in San Francisco. Continuing conversations from Philosopher's Corner at Stanford University, where we both teach. Yeah, and uh, today, instead of uh, taking you down to Philosopher's Corner, we're going to take you over to uh, ancient Greece. We're going to maybe take you down to the depths of Plato's Cave. Plato's Cave? What did he do there? You have a little still? for his friends or, uh, you know, no, he, uh, maybe smoke a little pot down wrote, there in his cave? He, he, uh, he wrote great works of philosophy, thought great <laughs> philosophical thoughts. So we're going to explore some of Plato's philosophy today, John. All right. Now, Ken, I've got some questions for you. Plato lived uh, 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 2,500 years ago, uh, almost. Uh, he, he had really weird ideas. He thought that the world that we see and feel and touch and eat isn't real. real. Uh, that numbers are more real than we are. He thought democracy was a crock. Uh, he thought philosophers should be kings. Now, <laughs> I mean, th- why does anybody take such a person seriously? Well, I mean, look, lots of people have taken Plato very, very seriously. Alfred North Whitehead said, and he's, there's some truth to this, all of philosophy since that time is just a footnote to Plato. So, I mean, you know, John, you should hope that all philosophy after you should be a footnote to you. So, I uh, mean, he was a big, deep, influential thinker. I, I would be happy to be a footnote to a footnote to uh, to Plato. The truth is that Plato wrote some stuff that's remarkably resilient. Uh, uh, translated into English, we still use it in introductory courses. He he wrote dialogues that uh, talk about the, the nature of of right and wrong, uh, is something right because God says it's right, or does God say it's right because uh, it is right? That's an age-old question, and Plato still has written one of the best things on it. His Republics is something that I read as a freshman, and I was so thrilled to be reading something that had lasted through the ages. Um, but I think, that, but you know, still, he had some pretty weird he ideas. Did have some, he did have some ideas that are, let's say, alien to us in some ways, right? Uh, but I, I mean, I actually say The Republic is one of the great books of all time. It's one of the greatest pieces of philosophy ever written. It's a beautiful, complex, deeply engaging book. Now, this is where his metaphor of the cave is. His idea is that all, most of us, most of the time, are like people in a cave who can only see shadows of what's going on out in the real world. Philosophers and certain other people, like mathematicians, uh, go out of the cave and look at things the way they really are. Uh, this was a metaphor for Plato. He didn't think that uh, what was outside of an ordinary cave was really real at all. He thought what was really real were numbers and what he called the forms. Yeah. What were the forms, Ken? Well, these, these things that exist out there in what people call Plato's heaven, and you, you can... You can think them with your mind, you can grasp them with reason, but you can't see them with the eye. And like you said, the things that you see with the eye or touch with the hands or smell, those aren't really real. You know, those aren't really real because they're constantly changing, you know. They're one, they appear one way at the, this moment, one way at that moment. But, you know, beauty itself, he said, is unchanging or, or virtue itself is unchanging. And, and you, can, you can't see unchanging things with the eye or touch them with the hand. Plato, Plato's idea was that if something is really real, you ought to be able to figure out what it's like just by thinking. Yeah. And once you figure it out, it shouldn't change. Yeah. Uh, you can't do that with an ordinary thing. I mean, if I want to know what Ken's like, I have to look. Yeah. And, you know, tomorrow he may not shave and may look entirely different. But the number five, oh, it's cool because, you know, it's the square root of 25, and it was yesterday, and it will be tomorrow, and I can just contemplate it and just think, be happy as a clam. But you think this is a weird idea, I gather. Yeah, I think it's uh, fascinating. Uh, and 
influential. You know, uh, in St. Augustine, we get the kind of identification of Plato's heavenly ideas with the ideas of God, and that, that at least in one version of Christianity, that's been very important. No, I think it's weird. I think, you think, I think, I think you're, no, no, you I think you're at least as real as the number five, <laughs> well, right. and twice as attractive. <laughs> yeah, you, you also think, and, it's and you're weird. not, and you're, uh, and like it, you're not a square. Yeah, well, that's I'm very hip dude, you know. No, you also think it's weird that uh, democracy is cr- is a crock, and that philosophers should be king. I mean, I have a world in which philosophers are king. That sounds pretty good to me. I, I'd like a few, you know. Servants, uh, well, vassals, subjects. I, I, I'd like to I rule guess the world. if the truth be known, I think there's more to be said for the idea than it might appear at first. Uh, just if you know a bunch of philosophers like Ken and I or the other people at our department or our guest today, Chris Bobanich, uh, you might say, what a bad idea to make <laughs> yeah, philosophers right. kings since they can barely run their own department uh, and usually their offices are disorganized or they miss all the deadlines and they're bas- basically marginally competent people. Why don't we uh, bring uh, our but, guest But on, I uh, still think there's a little bit more to be said for it than might meet the eye. Let's yeah, well, you know, and our guest, Chris Babanich, our colleague from Stanford, he's an associate professor of philosophy. He's written a, a really great book uh, called Plato's, Plato's Utopia Recast, published by Oxford University Press, I think in 2002. It's a great book. Uh, Chris, uh, welcome to Philosophy Talk. Thank you. Nice to join you. Hi, Chris. Hi, John. So, so Chris, uh, let's now actually in your book, you you make the point that Plato had different ideas about uh, what was good and what was right and what the good state would be like at different times. But let's just focus first on the Republic. Why was why was Plato such an enemy of democracy? Why did he think democracy was such a bad form of government? Well, he makes three plausible claims that seem to have that result. I mean, first, that knowledge is needed to make good decisions. Um, If you need to make a medical decision, you need knowledge. If you need to make good financial decisions, you need knowledge. So knowledge is needed to make good decisions. Like if you're going to invade a country, you'd want to know, oh, say, whether they had weapons of mass destruction, that sort of thing. So you need... That sounds plausible. So you need knowledge to make good political decisions. Okay. Um, Second, he thought that it was possible to have such knowledge and people actually could attain it. And he thought that, so the people who had such knowledge are the ones who should make such decisions. And these are the people he thinks are philosophers. Uh, and he thinks that relatively few people are going to have the required knowledge. So, you, but, so let me think. Your three th- things were knowledge is required for good decisions. It's possible to have that knowledge. And there are a certain class of people that, have that, that, that do have that knowledge, in fact. Is that? Is that that's right, yes. Uh, and th- those, I guess, are the philosophers. Yes, and so he thinks those are the ones who should make the decisions rather than do it by popular vote. There seems to be a kind of a missing element here. It seems like certain kinds of knowledge are required to make decisions, like whether there are weapons of mass destruction in Iraq or what the the intentions of the Iranians are or the North Koreans. Uh, But what philosophers are, are good at are, are knowing about, you know, five is the square root of 25 and stuff like that. Is there a, is there a realm other than mathematics that, uh, and, and things like that philosophers know about that's really relevant to governing? Plato thinks so, since he thinks that justice is important in governing. It's important to make just decisions. Uh, it's important to do the right thing, have laws that are correct. And these are things that he thinks that we can know about and we can have knowledge about what is just, what is right, what is wrong. Well, how are you supposed to, let's talk about how you can know about these things on Plato's view, because you would think, well, how do you know about those things? Well, I would guess 
first first pass. You study people and their behavior, you know, kind of empirical psychology, economics, stuff like that. It's kind of empirical observation of people. And you just live. You have experience. So on the one hand, empirical observation of people and then just living and having experience. But what privilege is the philosopher in acquiring such knowledge? I mean, it doesn't seem to me that I know anything about how people behave than you know, anybody else, and I don't have any more experience than anybody else, so why should I, as a philosopher, be privileged in this way? Well, what he thinks philosophers can do and have done is think about various accounts of justice, um, various theories of what justice are, um, consider criticisms of them, consider objections, uh, reformulate in light of those objections, and eventually move in further and further in developing a more adequate theory. So Ultimately, he thinks this requires knowing a form, but the initial process is quite plausible and it seems quite a good way to come to have knowledge. So, so basically, uh, if we were in Plato's Republic, our leader would be a pretty introspective person, uh, or at least a pretty thoughtful person, and he would have what we might say is a good sense. It would have what George Bush would call, the, or the, George Bush the first would call, the vision thing. And the vision would be based on analysis and thought about what makes something good what makes something right so he wouldn't count on fo or he or she wouldn't count on focus groups to know what to say about abortion or invading this country or that country or whether we should have preemptive strikes he would have kind of figured it all out maybe talking to other philosophers but but the question is what would he do about it I mean how in Plato's Republic would a thinker who become an effective leader well, that he thinks is the central problem in establishing a good state or a just state. He says there will never be a cessation of evils. Things will never be good until philosophers rule as kings or kings philosophize. He thinks that it's almost impossible for this to come to pass, but that once it came to pass, if it were to come to pass, uh, the city would be quite stable. Uh, it would be a just society, and it would be one that the people living in it could realize was good. Let, let's, uh, let's set this up a little bit for our listeners, because the Republic is about, it's about all kinds of things. But one of the things that uh, the interlocutors in the Republic, actually, Plato doesn't actually appear in the Republic, Socrates and various interlocutors with Socrates appear in the Republic, right, Chris? That's correct. Uh, but it, Socrates and his interlocutors set out to, to design, kind of from bottom up, the ideal city. And they, they do that kind of for a strange reason, right? They want to figure out what the, what the in just individual soul is like, what an ideal soul is like in an individual. And they say, well, you can't see it in the small. You need it to enlarge it. So they're trying to think up an ideal city. So that's why we're talking about different cities' designs in, in the Republic. Do I have that right? More yes. or less? And, and, he, and he thinks that it's one and the same property and that makes a city just, makes a person just, makes whatever is just, just. Right. And what and is that property? Uh, it's the property of justice. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but he's supposed to illuminate that for us, isn't and he? He'll give, you an, he'll give you an analysis of it, and, but it's that property that okay. makes the thing just. And we can say something more about what that is. You want to say something about th what that is? You want to do that right now? Uh, um, well, in the soul, he thinks that justice is the proper balance of the three basic parts or elements of the soul. Now, let me guess that's the ego, the id, and the superego. It has some resemblance to them, uh, but one is reason, um, mm -hmm. that which thinks about what's best to do. Uh, the second is the spirited part of the soul, uh, connected with self-respect, anger, 
Mm-hmm. Um, and the third is the appetitive part, concerned with desires for food, sex, and drink. Well, it does sound particular. like uh, Freud might have been influenced by Plato. Yeah, yeah. But now, what does it have to do with the city? So there are these three parts of the soul, each with their different function. And, I, and he goes on at length to argue, ultimately, you know, the three parts of the soul working in harmony, that's justice or something like that. What does that have to do with the city? And how does that it, get us to democracy? He thinks that the three same parts in the city, I mean, there is the ruling class, and these are the philosophers, these are the people who make the decisions. The second class is the class of auxiliaries, I mean, like the spirited part in the soul. Uh, these are the ones who defend the city, and they're basically a, a class of soldiers. Um, and the third lowest class are the class of producers, um, and those who engage in the arts and crafts necessary to maintain the city. And in a, the problem in democracy I mean, is that people of all three classes get to make decisions. Uh, every person is given an equal voice in determining what the city should do. Want to hear more? You can hear the rest of the program by purchasing it at iTunes Music. Or for unlimited listening, become a subscriber at philosophytalk.org.